Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I also want to let um, our audience know we are live streaming on Resiliency Within's Facebook page. And I would like to welcome back my guest, psychologist, Dr. Jamie Gamboa, and social worker, Brian Steffen of Spotlight on Suicide, which they call SOS. I love that SOS. Of course, that's what we need to call it. So Jamie and Brian were on the show on February 13th, 2023, and I encourage all of our listeners to go back to that show on February 13th to listen to it because I really look at that as part one because we didn't get, we didn't really have a chance to finish our conversation because it was so rich and they gave us so much background of how to look at our thoughts about suffering and suicidal thoughts in a different way and also really started to give us some really great wonderful information about how we can start not being silent. So today we're going to learn more about the suicidal ideation toolbox called SIT, which contains the accessible skills for helping professionals and all people who experience deep suffering and suicidal thoughts. Everyone experienced thoughts of suicide, whether that they may be passing or passive thoughts or more active thoughts. So at some point in our lives, that can happen to any one of us. But when that happens, many of us aren't equipped with the tools to handle it. So that's not your fault. They say people have been afraid to even say the word suicide for a long time, but times are changing. And I guess I'll have to say also, we need not to be silenced. So I'm going to ask you a question as how do sit skills increase resilience? You gave me a wonderful description when we were putting the show together. Would uh, When do you like to start? How, how do they help before we actually get to the nuts and bolts of what sit is? I mean, the basic idea is um, it helps you reconnect with the resilience that's already there. So it's not giving you resilience, but sometimes that can get lost. Um, the metaphor I think we've used before, Brian, is it's kind of like you never know, at home, everyone has a toolbox. Um, and wherever you live, you probably have some, one or more somewhere, but sometimes it, you kind of lose track of them. You forget where they are. And maybe it's shoved all the way at the back of the kitchen sink and there's a bunch of detritus piled on top of it. And it's hard to access, even though you do have those tools somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And and I just want to add to that, that um, for some of us, and I think you'll hear Jamie and I and uh, all three of us saying us and we throughout this conversation, because it really is a a, a we thing. And so... It's so hard when we learn in our cultures or in our families or in different spaces that uh, suicide is something that happens to people who are, and this is some of the language that used to be prevalent, um, severely mentally ill, people who are broken, people who, there's other people. And so there is no toolbox you, and again, I'm just using some of this old language, 
you are wrong. You are broken. You're, you're not doing your life right. And so whether it be at the crisis hotline where Jamie and I have spent lots of time, whether it be one-on-one or in groups or just in our lives when we interact with people who are going through deep suffering, there is often, uh, it's not just the suffering, it's Elaine, just like you said, the suffering in silence because we're not supposed to be talking about this. This isn't something that we are told that there are toolboxes for. We're, we're, we're lost, here's a metaphor, lost at sea with this deep suffering. And again, just going back to the stigmas that have been so, so, um, so corrosive and so unhelpful, which is that it's my fault. This is my fault. I'm doing something wrong and I can't talk about it. And it's, again, suffering and silence. And for those of us that have lost people to suicide, it's, it's devastating because it was the silence that really contributed. In, in, my, in my experience, it was the silence that, that really led to um, my good friend's death. And that's why, I'm, Elaine, thank you for letting us be on here again and again and again and again. We're coming back every week. No, I'm just kidding. But but that we can say that we can't stop the suffering in life, but we can do something about the silence. And yeah, and we're doing something about the silence. And I think what's important, and we were we had a, we were talking about this before the show started, is that when we think that only people with severe mental illness suicide or have thoughts of suicide, then there are a whole bucket of people then that we never even think that they may be suffering. And how many times have we heard, oh, we can't believe that happened to him or her or them because they are the last person we would have thought would have done that because they didn't look like they had severe mental illness. And so I guess the bottom line is that they didn't, but they were suffering with thoughts and those thoughts were driving them. And I know that a lot of what you have are helping people understand. And I love the way that you you talk about it. And Jamie, you were talking about it, about, about how we live with the thoughts. The thoughts are not us, but they're thoughts that come in. And I know that you both say that everyone has thoughts. You want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, that everyone has thoughts. Um, I think I mentioned in part one that I think of the brain as being like a thought generating factory. Um, and it's part of the function of our brain as a meaning making, problem solving, pattern finding mechanism. And that helps us survive. Um, but the thoughts that our brain generates. I liken it sometimes to being like a toddler. It can generate some really random things. And sometimes it's rooted in beliefs we have, things we've experienced, whether that be individual, societal, cultural. Um, but also sometimes it's just random. Like when you have a toddler and they just say things, they just start you know, talking about cheese and there's no reason for it. And you don't always have to find out the why of it. Um, but when they want to take the electrical cord and put it, you know, in their mouth (laughs) and put it into the wall. Yes. It's that curiosity. What will happen if, and we still have that within us, even when we're adults, our brain's like, but what would happen if this, what would happen if that, what if we just died and then we wouldn't have to deal with that anymore. And it is coming from a very toddler like place in us. So um, what I'd like to do just for a second, I want to remind our listeners. So I mean, I imagine some people may be out there listening and saying, oh, I'm, I'm suffering. That's you're talking about me. I sometimes have thoughts about ending my life, but I don't look at myself as being severely mentally ill. So we want to let everyone know that there is a call line now called 988. You can call it or text it. And there is assistance 24-7. Now, it, it was just launched a few months ago. I know that there's been some, you know, some little 
squiggles that they're needed to get through, but it is there. And I know that one of the things I love what you said, um, Brian, the first show is when I asked you, you said, why am I thinking about suicide? Because you are human mm-hmm. and, and that people don't necessarily, they don't, don't necessarily need a cure. They need a witness. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that yeah. was really powerful when you oh, said yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, and it's, there's, there's, I'm having these sensations in my body and it's scaring me and I, but I can't tell anybody. Or um, I really wanted to be valedictorian and I, I came in second place and I don't know if I can live with that, but I, I can't tell anyone, you know, I'm a new mom and I have this beautiful baby and it's been hard breastfeeding and I don't feel the kind of love that I thought the movies and TVs and all my friends made me feel like I would feel, but I can't tell anyone. And so, and these all happen. Um, and, uh, it's the witness, right? Maybe we don't need a cure. Maybe we don't need to go around and thank goodness. We don't need to all go around and be fixing each other. You should do this. You should feel this way. And instead saying, I see you, I hear you. Of course you're, of course you want it to be valedictorian. Of course. And there was a suicide, um, that I was involved in where there was a valid, uh, they didn't get to be valedictorian. And as a result, they died by suicide. And it was tragic. And I wonder what that young person, what their experience would have been like had they been able to share that pain, that suffering and silence. So maybe we don't need cures. Maybe there aren't any cures per se for this human experience of suffering and disappointment and challenge, but maybe a witness and somebody like Jamie. And I'm so grateful that over these years, whether it be at the hotline or in in spaces like this or in groups where I can, sorry, Jamie, I'm, I love listening to Jamie talk about <laughs> this topic, not talking at people, but talking with people and, and saying, I see you and what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're saying is important. And I want to know more. And that's what I want in life. And I want more of it. And we can all have it. Um, and so, like I said, I'm really glad to be part of this journey with people that also are practicing this. Um, Jamie, I love you, Jamie. <laughs> you too are so well, we can finally say that out loud. <laughs> and, and it's recorded. I love you, Jamie. It's recorded and you work together so well. But you know, I, lo- I love that you brought in that example of the valedictorian because I'm just thinking how many people would say if, if even if the person said, oh, I cannot, you know, believe it, I'm I'm a failure. You go, oh, what do you mean you're a failure? You're, you know, you're the second in your class. It's not you're a this. Big deal. Oh, this is not a big deal in the future. You're going to, you know, you, you, who knows what you're going to be doing in the world, you know, get over yourself. You're, you're fine the way you are, but that's not listening to them. That may be saying that they are fine the way they are, that there are going to be other experiences, but at that moment, you can't hear that. It's like, I always think about Charlie Brown and Lucy, right? Where Lucy would, would 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 be blah 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 because it wasn't getting into Charlie Brown, right? So I think that's you know what we want really people to hear that those that doesn't work that deep listen and that's gonna you know help me go to the, one of the questions I want to ask you today. Um, why did you create SIT and tell them what SIT stands for? Yes, so SIT, the Suicidal Ideation Toolbox. And keeping with the very important mental health tradition of things being acronyms, um, it's also a way of saying that we are sitting with suicide and suicidal thoughts instead of trying to fix them or make them go away, just get rid of them, turn them off somehow. 
And so even though um, the sit skills are tools in our toolbox, um, they're not meant to be solutions um, or ways to solve a problem. They're more a way of helping you connect um, with yourself, with your story, um, with a meaning that helps you move forward with your body, um, with your sense of larger purpose, and also with other people at a time when that connection is especially important and when we can really get disconnected by all the silence and the shame surrounding deep suffering and suicidal thoughts. So, you know, I want to really emphasize this word connection. I've heard you both say connection and maybe Brian wants to, to weigh in on it as well, because that does seem to be the what's one of the core components of what I've heard from both of you. So you want to say a little bit more about that, Brian? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that this is the, this is, I don't know, Jamie, maybe I, maybe I've never actually told you this, but I'm about to, um, is that's is my favorite word. This is the word. This is it. Connection, connection and connection to other people that get it. Uh, and there are people in this world, there are, that we can have this me too moment with. And if Elaine, as you said, and thanks for starting today's show by saying that it's a human thing. We all think about our own mortality. We all experience thoughts. What would this world be like if instead of, instead of saying, um, I'm thinking about suicide, we were to call it what it is, which is I'm experiencing thoughts of suicide. So back to the connection that we can connect with other people. We can connect with ourselves. And I'm so glad that this, this, this phrase sitting with, would it be like to connect with the feelings in my body when I think about my own funeral, what's happening inside me? When I think about, oh, my, my piano teacher who actually listened when I used to talk, connecting with ourselves. And it's hard. Like I say, I didn't have any classes in elementary school or high school or college about connecting with what's happening. And also we're not talking, I'm glad that suicide prevention has been, um, that's been it. That's what we've been working on for the, for many decades now. And we owe a great debt. Uh, and it's important to acknowledge Marilyn Monroe and her life. Mm-hmm. And, um, her struggles and her deep suffering. In fact, uh, recently I was reading about um, her her diaries. She wrote journals after all of her psychoanalysis over the years. And I think what what we see is um, feelings of loneliness and isolation that she didn't feel understood by her psychoanalyst. She didn't feel like her deep suffering was acknowledged. There wasn't the kind of connection, I see you. And so connecting with other people, connecting with ourselves, and also connecting with meaning. What am I going to do with this one precious life? And just like we know there's post-traumatic growth, just like we know there's post-grief growth, provided we can connect with what our experience is like. What's it like? What's it like to think about what you're thinking about, whether it be suicide or grief or anxiety or joy? Meaning, what are we going to do with this one uh, I think we said last time, Elaine, this is not the rehearsal. Th- this this is it. This is the show. And when we sit with our deep suffering, we can learn. We can learn from our own experience. And again, not going around looking for cures and fixes, but rather walking with each other, supporting each other, connecting with each other. And like Ramdas said, I love this quote, maybe we're all just walking each other home. <laughs> I love that too. I love that quote. 
Yeah. I like, you know, I think it's important when I think about, you know, you brought in Marilyn Monroe, you know, and knowing that she had horrible sexual abuse as a child horrible, and abandonment and, you know, foster care. I mean, the whole gamut of what we know, if there isn't someone connecting to children that sadly many children will start thinking about, well, why should I live? And if there's not that connection, and so I just want to just do a shout out for all of the, those of you that are out there that may know a kid that's suffering, reach out to that kid and let them know you may be that lifeline. I talk a lot to people who have had so much trauma and I talk a lot with teachers and oftentimes people will tell me the reason why they got connected was because a teacher believed in them and that changed the really changed the trajectory of their life. And it could be that a teacher that believed them for one, you know, year of their life that changed that trajectory. And so I, I do think that we need to also, you know, guess you always hear me say what else is true, that when we have those kinds of connections, if we can remind people of them, and I know that's what you all believe, how important that is to spark something inside of them that might help them to notice the sensations connected to connection, even if they don't have it at that moment that they can remember that moment from the past. Um, and I and I don't know if you want to say a little bit about um, the mind and body connection that I know that you too feel very strongly about because much of when we talk about psychoanalysts, right? It was up here. Very up here. Right. It wasn't about the body. And also there is kind of a lack of information. I would say a kind of a lack of information about the impact of sexual abuse. Um, on people's lives. I think we are better at that now. Not perfect, but we're better. So anyway, so with that, what would, which, who wants to go next? Oh, me. You know, All right, go ahead, Jamie. Yes. Special interest. You have yes. um, as, as you know, we integrated the community resiliency model skills, you know, the CRIM skills that you were instrumental in creating into our set. Um, and I, I think a big part of the value um, is that when you are in crisis, as we know now from all of the, the research that we've done on what happens in the human mind, body, spirit, when you're experiencing stress and trauma, um, that human stress response system that, you know, because of a lot of factors in, in our culture and society, it's really going off chronically. And while it's very helpful for us in very short-term crisis situations, chronically, it you know, sometimes affects us in ways that gets in the way of connection, which creates challenges for us. And one of those ways is your, your frontal lobe here, your prefrontal cortex, um, gets overridden by the amygdala, you know, the part of your brain that's responsible for you know, like fear and danger signals. Um, the amygdala takes the wheel because the thought is, okay, you need to react very quickly, there's not time to think it through. And we need to devote all of our resources to immediate survival. And so again, in a lot of ways, that's great. It's helpful if you're being, you know, attacked by a bear, but it's not great if the, the trauma or the stress or the danger is relational danger. And because we're really wired to connect, as I say all the time, relational danger is danger. And so if we're trying to sit with somebody in crisis, and we're meeting them up here instead of, you know, that body to body connection, we're really missing an opportunity to help them reconnect with what's happening in their body and for us to connect together because co-regulation happens 
as we all know now in the body level. And it's really hard to like engage up here when you're in that amygdala hijack process, which is why I really, I love your crumb skills. And I think it's so valuable in when you're in a crisis, pressing the brake and like slowing down. And the metaphor I like to use, we all know, we, we love metaphors at SOS, is like when you're driving in a storm. If you're driving in a storm, you are at increased risk of getting into an accident or a collision of some kind um, because the conditions are, are dangerous. And if you're going very quickly, it's going to be harder for you to safely come to a stop. And so when you're in a crisis, similarly, sometimes you need something to help you slowly put on that break that you can then um, slowly start to get regulated and decide what to do next. Because when you're in a crisis, it feels urgent, like you need to respond very quickly. And when we talked before last time about that constriction effect, it feels yeah. like I need to figure out what to do. I need to come to a decision and act now to survive. The world narrows down to a single point. And sometimes that single point is an unhelpful coping skill or trying to act on thoughts of suicide. Um, and we find that if you are able to hit the brakes and slow down, then you're able to make better decisions that are, that are healthier for you. And I guess, you know, one of the things I'd like to say, and I'd love to see, you know, your opinion about this, but the, you know, when we're trying to talk to the amygdala, if you say, hey, amygdala, just stop being afraid. It doesn't <laughs> respond, super right? well. it doesn't work. <laughs> but if you talk, if you, if the amygdala is firing, if you have a fear response and you go, well, I'm not really, there's nothing here harming me right now. If you do something like ground yourself, you know, feel your your body in the chair, your feet on the floor. If you try to bring in a embodied resource and thinking, oh, I'm going to think about my grandma and how she used to rock me in that chair. You're accessing your sensory system, your nervous system. And you're also, the break is the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Right. You're putting that break on and now deeper breath. So the prefrontal cortex, then it's amazing how this happens. It's going, oh, well, maybe things aren't as bad as I thought they were. Maybe I'm going to call Jamie or I'm going to call Brian and they're going to help me through this. But as long as we get hijacked like that, then the thoughts that come fast and furious are not necessarily thoughts of well-being. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I love what you said about, and this is, this is your language I'm using, talking to your body in its own language. And the nervous system is fluent in the language of, of sensations. Um, so you can't really rationalize or logic yourself out of feeling afraid or feeling anything. Um, your amygdala is taking the wheel. You can't say now amygdala, that doesn't really make sense. You shouldn't be feeling that way. Um, but what you can do is, you know, translation takes time between these different parts of your brain. You can meet the amygdala where it's at and you can access the, you know, that feeling of well-being, that resourcing that you have inside of you. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to tell you both a story too. This, you know, so it's a, it's a, but I think it's connected. So when, um, when our model was being brought to a school, I think this was a school up in Colorado and they were testing it out through a project that we're involved with. Um, they were talking about the different zones that we talk about, the high zone, the low zone, the resilient zone or zone of well-being. And so in the high zone, we say, oh, you know, your nervous system, you're jacked up. You may say things that you regret. Um, you may even think about harming, harming people or harming yourself. And the low zone is exhaustion, disconnection, you know, in the resilient zone, Hey, I can, even though I may feel sad sometimes in the resilient zone or even annoyed, I can manage it. So this little boy raises his hand and he tells the teacher, he said, Oh, teacher, you know, 
this makes sense what you're sharing with me when I'm in my high zone is when I want to kill myself. So the teacher was, was shared with me was like panic going, I don't know if I want to teach this model to these kids, because if they're going to tell me that they want to kill themselves, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, it was, I thought it was kind of sad in one, one respect. I understand the teacher was like suffering saying, I already got a lot going on. I don't know how to deal with the kid that tells me that when I'm in the high zone, I feel like killing myself. And so I think that's the other power about what you're talking about is that every teacher, wouldn't it be nice if every teacher like would feel comfortable and not be like, oh, I'm so concerned that I'm frozen now and I don't know what to do. And and so, but to say that that little boy, and you know what it was, and also I think what was shared with me after that as the kids were saying in another situation, oh, well, you know, if you feel like that, you know, you could go and walk outside. Sometimes when you're walking, the kids knew kind of what to do. Right. How to make someone feel better. Right. So I just think that it's also then about connection when another kid sees another kid suffering. Even kids can say, well, we can go walk outside. Remember when we when we climbed that tree over there? That was really fun. We had a good time. That's that's a child, you know, reminding another child of their resources. And so that's one of the reasons I you know, love that when you you told me about SIT, that you're actually creating interventions. You're adding, like you said, the toolbox that's maybe out in the shed covered with, you know, God knows what. You're going, hey, we're going to bring that out. Not only we're going to bring out that toolbox, we're going to put some new things in it. So can you tell us what some of those things in the toolbox are? I'm hoping. Absolutely. And I, I, by the way, I love that. I love that story. I, that's really beautiful. And by the way, like kids, before they learn what they're not supposed to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, I remember I, I was teaching um, myself and another social worker. We were doing a module for a fourth grade class and we were teaching sex ed. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, it was, four, it was fourth grade. It was a fourth grade class. And they were asking um, perfectly wonderful, correct questions like, how does the baby fit in there? <laughs> and I mean, it just okay. like good, good questions. It does seem pretty impossible. It does, right? <laughs> and with this, with this kiddo who's sharing, like you said, Elaine, like, oh, it's like when I think about killing myself, and and then there's that that reaction, the the eyebrows go up, the shoulders tense, and all of a sudden, this kid is a problem that needs to be fixed. Right. And again, the more conversations we're having that we don't have to just stop at prevention, the stops, let's stop this, stop this. It's important to have breaks and pauses. And thank goodness that is a big part of our toolbox and Elaine, the work that you do. What's happening in the here and now, right now, and helping people come back to the right here, right now, versus falling into the future in the back in the past. But instead of instead of the 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 fear, oh my gosh, instead, and if you ever don't know what to say to someone, I think the best thing to say to someone is thank you for sharing that. Thank you for what you just said. I'm so glad we're talking. I'm so glad that we're connected, which by the way is speaking of teachers, Mr. Rogers, maybe one of the best teachers. He was a teacher on TV and he said, I'm so glad we're connected. He said that every show and he looked at kids through the camera lens. He made eye contact with every child and said, I'm so glad that you and I we are neighbors and we're connected. And this kind of connection, these safe connections with people that care and are curious, and this is this is 
this is what we can do. And this is what Jamie and I are working on with SOS and this great toolbox. Well, so, and I think that when you just said that about, you know, the thank you, and then I am here with you. Because I think that's the other part of the connection, because you feel so alone with those kinds of thoughts. And I thought, you know, when, when people told me about it late, later, they asked for my opinion. And I just said, well, oh my, isn't that wonderful that he was able to, he felt safe enough in the classroom to be able to express that. And that's saying something I bet about the nature of the teacher. So that's what I would have said to the teacher if I would have been present. I said, oh, the fact that that child feels comfortable saying that, that is so wonderful. And then, of course, you want to have a deeper listen. You want to talk to him. And there may be other um, people in the school that may need to get involved, but it comes from this caring aspect and that that child feels cared for, for even being able to say that. But it is, it may be like saying, how does that baby get out? <laughs> how does it live in there? It doesn't seem possible. Well, we're going to take a short break. But when we come back, I really would, we want to hear more about the skills in the toolbox. And I know now too, that you are live, um, that you website has launched. So say the, 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 the website really quickly right now before the break. What's it called? Spotlightonsuicide.com spotlightonsuicide.com. So we want everybody to know that. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes and we're going to continue this wonderful conversation and learn more information about how to help people that may have these thoughts that aren't going away. Thanks, Lynn. Back in a moment. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at Resiliency within.com. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with um, Brian Steffen and Dr. Jamie Gamboa. They have created a, a wonderful new program called, we're going to, we call it the SIT Toolbox, but tell them what SIT stands for again. We want to hear it as many times as we can. Suicidal Ideation Toolbox. And so right before the break, we were talking about what are some of the skills in the toolbox and they've just launched their new website. So um, w- would you like to talk a little bit about the interventions? And I imagine we could talk for the rest of the show about the interventions. On, oh, let's easily. Go. Yes, let's go. <laughs> um, to start with, maybe it's helpful to um, like kind of briefly explain the, the layout of it. We have two different toolboxes. Um, so one is the crisis toolbox. And that is a toolbox that's intended for use when you are in an immediate crisis right now. And the tools can be used uh, with a caring other or on your own if there's no one around in the moment. Um, and even if there's no one around, they still facilitate connection with, again, with your body, with yourself, with your larger sense of meaning and purpose. Um, and in addition to somatic interventions, we have a lot of narrative interventions, which are all about storytelling, how to tell the story of what you're experiencing and make meaning in a way that works, that helps you move through it and also helps you communicate to others. So you can then use that to have these conversations and connect with others. Uh, in addition, we have the therapy toolbox, which is intended to be used with the therapist when you have a therapeutic relationship established. Um, and so those are um, tools that you can use, whether you're in a crisis or not, that are really intended, again, helping connect with resilience, with yourself, with others, um, and specifically targeting some of the things that get in the way of that connection. Well, Jamie, this, this um, poses a question for me, knowing that there are many people that as much as we know, there are so many wonderful therapists like the two of you out there that some people don't want to go to a therapist. Can they still use that part, even if they don't have a therapist? That yeah. part of the website? Absolutely. It's something that we recommend doing with a therapist because um, it's more of a larger conversation. But in the absence of a therapist, you can look for, you know, we were talking about Mr. Rogers during the break. You can look for the helpers and find people in your life. You know, I do recommend, although it's helpful to, you know, cultivate that relationship with yourself and your body to also cultivate that relationship with others and find people in your community, whether that be, you know, a family member, a friend, a found family, somebody in your faith community, a teacher, um, the helpers in your life who can help you have these conversations and process these things. Well, you know, one of the things we were talking about before the break is that sometimes there may not be a person that knows what to say. So they may reach out to someone and they don't feel better. So what do you recommend if that happens? Going, well, gosh, I thought they were going to help me, but yeah. told me I just needed to pray harder, but I've been praying really hard and it hasn't been taking those thoughts away. What what do you do then? Well, you know, this is this is a great uh, a great question and a great uh, uh, theme. Uh, you know, when I started the crisis hotline, just to make a connection there to the, the 988, mm-hmm. I thought that we would only be receiving calls from people who were in crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found out 
very quickly that that's not true. You, uh, plenty of our calls, maybe a third, maybe a quarter of all our calls, a tremendous amount of our calls are from people who are calling because they're concerned and they care and they love someone who is suffering. So we get calls from parents or caregivers. We get calls from friends. We get calls from teachers. We get calls from therapists. Um, uh, we, in, in our, in our um, the mental health field and our graduate programs and our training, we are not up to snuff yet on training our clinicians, social workers, MFTs, clinical psychologists, whomever, um, on how to talk about some of these big topics, taboo topics, um, sex, money, death, dying, suicide. And so we have a lot of what we call third-party calls. So people call the crisis hotline and want to know, what do I say? What do I not say? And so perhaps, just like Jamie was saying, that in the absence of a, of a therapist, perhaps there is a, a sponsor in a 12-step program or a fellow or maybe a baseball coach or a piano teacher or a pastor or an imam or a rabbi or someone who we feel, and again, I'm glad that we're, we're we're including the body here when we feel safe with certain people and maybe those third parties, those caring connections can check out the spotlight on suicide.com website and familiarize themselves with some of these tools and maybe practicing. Okay. What if we, and again, I, I, well, I love it. It's our website. I, I love it. You know that this, for example, um, in the crisis toolbox, uh, section, we have this concept of CAMP, C-A-M-P. And like Jamie said, us therapists, we love acronyms. Love acronyms. We love acronyms. And so we, you know, for a, for a long time, up until about, what, 10, 12,000 years ago, we've all been wandering around, wandering around, and then we figured out farming, yippee, and we stopped wandering. And so we've had these campfires, we've had these shelters, we've had these, um, a, a refuge, a place that we can call home. And so when we're, and certainly deep suffering, suicidality does feel like we're, we're lost in a forest or wandering a desert, we're in the wilderness. And so what would it mean to set up camp there? What would it mean to have a safe place and ideally to not be alone in that camp? And so, and again, I, uh, uh, you know, the, and I'm glad that our, our camp tool in this toolbox starts with connection, right? Connecting with another person certainly connecting with ourselves, connecting to this moment right now, connecting to the here and now. So often suicidality and, and deep suffering, we're, we're falling into the future or falling back into the past, right? And instead connecting with what's happening right now in this moment. Um, so I love this camp tool. Um, I love all our tools. I love all my kids the same. I love them all equally. <laughs> but I have so, a favorite. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, but you have a favorite. So you, so the person goes to your website. It's easily accessible that they could go to the tools section and they could start like right now. They could yeah. go and see. Okay, well, here's my how I need to talk about it. Maybe if I have, it gives a framework because you go, how do I talk to someone about this such deep suffering? So it gives them a framework of how to be able to speak about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because sometimes it's hard to find the words to define the language to communicate our experience to others. Um, and we spend a lot of time in our own experience, our own heads, thoughts, emotions, body, but it can be hard to know how to package that in a way that somebody else is able to receive it, especially if something is, is blocking that in some way, whether that be stigma or some kind of societal narrative about how things should be 
um, maybe shame. And so it, it does help to have the language, especially going back to the neuroscience, um, when there's that wordlessness of trauma in the body stress response system, making it even harder, adding an extra level of difficulty to communicating and connection. And so um, I want to talk a little bit more um, if, about the, the tools. So especially the ones you said about the ones that are good to use, recommended with a psychotherapy. So what can you give us an example of one of those tools, what that would be? Yeah. So an example of, of one that's in our therapy toolbox is the beach ball. Um, and this is a, a metaphor that I use all the time, where if you try and push a beach ball um, under the water, it's a constant exertion of effort in the moment you're like, oh, pfft, water everywhere. And so it's kind of a, a conversation seed. What is that thing that you are pushing underwater? And what would happen if you stopped pushing underwater? Um, what would happen if you, if you held whatever the thing is? Um, so again, it's very much rooted in this narrative theory approach of storytelling, where you are trying to find the language to describe the experience of you know, wanting to push something away, push something down, repress it, and how you could have a different kind of relationship with that thing. And even if we can't like get rid of the thing and throw it away from us, because maybe it's a mixing metaphors here, it's a boomerang, it's going to come right back around, but how can we hold it differently? Well, and do you, I mean, I, and you know, of course, you know, myself as a somatic therapist is I'd go, oh, what would it be like to let that, you know, um, balloon go? And what would happen then? The beach ball. Um, and I can just, I mean, actually, actually I'm, env I'm envisioning something in my own life and I'm going, oh, that feels good. It's like, yeah. it doesn't feel so heavy on the body then. Yeah. And then, that's your experience with that, um, the beach ball metaphor. Right. And it also ties into that constriction effect. Cause you know, if you're um, pushing the beach ball, pushing the beach ball, you have that constricted focus and your entire world becomes, no one could know about this. Cause if you're in a shame headspace, if anyone knew, they they would realize I'm unlovable. So I have to keep pushing this beach ball under the water. Um, and so if that becomes your entire world, it feels like the stakes are very high. And this ties into how our meaning-making process of things happening really affects the way we experience things. Going back, Ryan, to what you said about the kid who uh, it was so important for them to be valedictorian. And you know maybe if they said, hey, I'm, I'm really upset that I'm not going to be valedictorian. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. Somebody might have said it's not a big deal. Like, what's it's just valedictorian. You're you're still really smart. It's going to be okay. Um, but maybe if somebody had sat with them and, and asked, like, what does it mean to be valedictorian? What does it mean to not? You know, maybe this kid was balancing on the head of a pin. Maybe it it felt huge. It felt like if I'm not valedictorian, then again that constriction effect. What else is there? The entire, my entire world is zoomed in on being valedictorian. I don't have anything else right now. And the beach ball can be a conversation to address those kinds of experiences. Well, and I'm just thinking about what happens to so many kids. There's so much pressure from themselves, but from parents, from other people that sometimes, well, if I do that, I'm going to let my dad down and right. he'll, you know, I don't know how that's going to be in our family that that that's what we've been working for since I was a little kid. Right. right? So all those kinds of things that are also can be distorted thinking because they think a certain way that if they didn't talk to anybody about it, they don't know that there's something else that someone thought. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm, I'm really glad we're, we're talking about shame. We're talking about, we're talking also about social justice. Um, 
right now. There's a lot of people in this country, of course, around the world, but in this country right now that are struggling with um, paying the bills, paying rent, possible evictions, experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity. And so bankruptcy, for example. Um, well, what's the big deal? Well, for example, the shame that I would feel, um, and it's entirely possible that this could happen to me, so I have not declared bankruptcy yet, but it's possible. It's possible. And so if I was to declare bankruptcy, and as Jamie, you were saying before, because shame is a social emotion. It's not something that happens in a vacuum. My bankruptcy, it's not the bankruptcy that I'm ashamed of. It's the fact that what if I, how could I tell my partner, my future, my, my, how could, am I going to keep this a secret from my partner? Do I have to tell people? Do I have to disclose this? The shame of that. Um, how can I be accepted into this world? And again, Elaine, like you were saying before, in our cultures and families and spaces where, um, and certainly social media makes it so hard. I'm comparing my insides to everybody else's outsides. And it does look like everybody else is doing great, but I'm not. And so the suffering and silence, the shame, the disconnection, maybe I go out on a limb and I, a lot of metaphors going out on a limb and saying to somebody, you know, I, 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 I'm going to have to declare bankruptcy. And they reply in the way that perhaps that valedictorian scenario was, what's the big deal? And it's so, it's so painful. And again, suffering in silence. Well, so um, this is a, another, I think another question too, because I've been, you know, watching the news lately has been very difficult for many reasons, but I get really concerned about children that may be, you know, coming into the awareness of their sexuality and thinking, you know, I think maybe I'm one of these non-binary folks or, you know, I think maybe I, I really am attracted. I'm a woman and I'm attracted to a woman or I'm a man attracted to a man. And then, of course, the whole um, dialogue about people that are identifying as transgender, and there's so many laws and things about you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And, you know, talking about the silence of maybe the thoughts of not wanting to live and saying, well, I don't know if I should come out to my family. I'm wondering if I just feel that may be an important thing to touch upon right now, because, of course, our our suicide statistics show that there is a much greater weight of young people who are in the LGBTQAI community that that not only have thoughts, but also actually complete suicide. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because this is another topic that hits the talk button for me. Um, yeah. Queer acceptance, um, transgender acceptance, um, and affirming healthcare is suicide prevention. Um, they did a study where um, they found that for, for trans kids, if they were able to um, exist in a way that was congruent um, with their gender identity in at least two settings in their life, whether that be like home, school with peers, um, even having two out of three, their risk of suicide went down substantially. Um, so when queer kids, trans kids are not able to be authentic in that way, you know, I'm going to bring in another Rogers here. We've been talking about Mr. Fred Rogers, but also Carl Rogers is another very important Rogers for those who don't know. Um, he started the humanistic psychology movement um, where the focus is on the, the human that is right in front of us. He had this idea of unconditional 
positive regard, like being able to have positive regard for somebody's humanness, no matter what. Um, and he also had this idea of conditions of worth that was associated with that. Um, the idea of conditions of worth is I will love you if, right? And so if you're a, a queer kid or a trans kid and you're getting this messaging, maybe from family, from teachers in the educational system, from peers, from politics, you read the news, and the message you're getting is I will love you if, I say all the time, relational danger is danger and we would, we would cut off our arm in order to stay connected and be loved. And as trans kid, for example, you can't do that. You can't just cut off this part of yourself and still be healthy and whole. And they, they, they try. And it's, it's really devastating and heartbreaking to see all of the knots these kids and adults contort themselves into trying to be loved and to fit into that. I will love you if, and so removing that condition of worth is suicide prevention. And I also, I just said, this kind of is a segue for another question. Are people trained in the 988 crisis counselors that they, in, in that Carl Rogers way, that mm-hmm. every single person has worth? Um, I always get concerned about, you know, when people call whatever the emergency number is, that there are people that have this kind of approach on the other end. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you asked that because that's important. The, the people who volunteer their time. A lot of times, you know, Jamie and I have uh, taken uh, so many calls where people ask, are you paid for this? Is this your job? And we're always so glad to let people know. Of course, there are some paid staff positions, but our call center, the first one here in Los Angeles that, uh, again, uh, an important um, acknowledging Marilyn Monroe and her death and the investigation and the research that followed that um, helped to, from that seed, uh, grew the first ever suicide crisis hotline in America. And so we take our training very seriously. And with volunteers, people who are volunteering their time to sit in the dark place with people, with connection, with curiosity, with kindness, with patience, with patience. And again, we were talking during the break about Mr. Rogers. He didn't speed through his show. He took the time. He took the time to to let let whoever was listening follow in whatever pace. And sometimes it takes it takes as long as it takes. And that's okay. And so we're also I'm I'm really proud that uh, the suicide prevention crisis hotline here in Los Angeles has a long relationship with the Trevor Project, which is their mission is supporting LGBTQIA teens and youth. We also now, um, and I know everyone at the hotline is very proud to now have the teen line under our umbrella. Uh, under our umbrella, and the teen line is a peer-to-peer, a teen crisis hotline, so teens can talk to other teens. Again, another theme of today: finding your community, finding your tribe. And sometimes a 13-year-old may want to talk to another 13 or 14 or 15-year-old rather than talking to someone like me, who's um, well, I'm 21 years old, Elaine. So this is no, I'm not 21, but but you know, we. Oh goodness, you're so I, preserved, so young. <laughs> but to have people who get it, me too, and so we take our training very, very seriously, staying current on everything that's happening. And when there's tragedies that happen, as there have been, unfortunately, seems like each week, each week. Um, 
each week there is a uh, loss of life. Um, and again, I know this is a big topic, but I do want to just say that what would the world look like if when there's coverage of these tragedies and these shootings and these um, attacks, I wonder if we told the truth and included that suicidality. No one goes into a, a church or a school or an office and perpetrates these attacks who is planning the rest of their week. And then I'm going to go to the grocery store after, and then I'm going to pick up my kids after, and then we're going to go to Disneyland on Friday. No, this is a suicide. People have finished. They're, they're said, I'm done, but I do want to hurt some people on the way out. And I know there's, I, I just wanted to name that, that what if we could connect? I think that's important. I think yeah, I do, I do too. This is an act of suicide yeah. and I'm, and I'm taking people with me. I did. And I'm glad. And I'm and there's a lot of great people who are studying this and researching it. There's a, an amazing person at UCLA. His name is David Kaplan, and he studies firearm and suicide. And so I just wanted just to name that, that what would this we're, this is a public health emergency. This is a this is a national emergency. And so if we could if we could address it in a way that says when the people do these attacks, they're 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 suicidal. They're, they're, and what if they're suffering in silence? What if we could let them know that you don't have to be silent about what's going on? If it's about money, if it's about chronic pain, if it's about divorce, if it's about um, whatever it is, and uh, it's the suffering, it's the it's excuse me, it's the silence, suffering in silence. And if we can do something about the silence, we will have made a, a big contribution to helping people. Instead of trying to save other people's lives, what if we could help people save their own life? What if we could support people instead of instead of being the one and going around and fixing and fixing and curing? What if we could be that helping hand, that hand, as people move towards wellness, move towards safety, move towards support, moving towards connection? And that's what we're doing. And I know, Elaine, that's what you have dedicated so much of your life to. And let's not stop. Let's keep doing it. Well, I cannot believe we have just zipped through another hour together. What happens to us? <laughs> I cannot. I think it's going to have to be okay. Part three is coming up. Part three. <laughs> Part three is coming up. We, we talked about one tool, two tools. Yeah. Well, listen, we <laughs> talked about more than last time, but there's clearly so much to talk about regarding the subject. And I mean, we went into segues that we didn't really plan in terms of shootings, in terms of um, what's happening in the LGBTQAI community. And I think these are important subjects because our show is about inclusivity. It's about diversity. It's about us all being human and it's about our common humanity. And that's what I love about the work that you both are doing. Because I think if if the SOS and SIT get out there in the ways that I hope it will, and I think it will, that you're going to be the educational force so that people understand that teacher is not gonna go, she's gonna sit and have a deep listen with that kid. Some teachers just do that naturally, as we know, but others need some tools in the toolbox. We all need tools in the toolbox. So I just love that you've committed to that. So, okay. Website again, say the website. Yes. Spotlightonsuicide.com. And say the organization, SOS. SOS, Spotlight on Suicide. Okay. That's so, so it's all connected, right? And and the yes. website. Okay. And sit, sit is on our website, Spotlight on Suicide. Okay. And and SOS is my favorite ABBA song. <laughs> I I love that song, that Elaine. SOS. So remember Well, ABBA. Brian, I think I'm going to have to drive out to LA and we're going to have to go to karaoke. That's karaoke. Yes. ABBA. <laughs> SOS. I'm coming. Good. But all right. Well, anyway, again, thank you both. I mean, Jamie Gamboa, Brian Steppen, 
you are, you have created meaning and purpose in your life and you're sharing your meaning and purpose with the world. Thank you for sharing it with me and resiliency within and all my audience. And until we meet again, remember our wonderful audience out there, what else is true that from suffering, um, they have created something really beautiful and continue to reach out and help people. And remember 988, if you're suffering, there's someone there that was well-trained on the other end. So this is Elaine Miller-Karis signing out for Resiliency Within on our Dear Voice America. And I wanna thank the Trauma Resource Institute again as our sponsor. Go to their web website and donate to them because they do good things around the world. Blessings. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller-Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com.